0: Rub it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2,353. Buckle up because today we're talking about Le Mans. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello inspiring automotive enthusiasts and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm well I'm back across the pond with a a returning guest in West Wales by the name of Glenn Smale. Glenn, welcome back to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear and are you ready to release the clutch?
1: Yeah, Mark, thank you. Good. Thank you for having me. It's good to be back.
0: Well, nice to see you again, my friend. And you know what's cool is you are on the show almost exactly two years ago, Uh, we were just trying to fight our way out of that terrible COVID situation. You were about ready to head off to a little race called Le Mans, and now (laughs) two years later, I have a spectacular book on my desk that you have written, published by our friends at uh, Motor Books, about the 100th year of Le Mans. And I want to give you an introduction, but before I do, and we kind of dive deep into this research you've done, if you could define Le Mans... In one simple set of sentences, what would it mean to you?
1: It would be obviously the word endurance must be in there, but it's all about sticking with sticking with what you've got. It's it's perseverance, it's excitement, uh, it's history in the making. That's what I like about it. Uh, you know, you can go every year, and there's something that you you will know. That's going to stick in history.
0: Absolutely. Been around 100 years now. So that's something. Not too many things, especially motor racing. You think how far motor racing has come and the changes. And we're going to be talking about that. But let me give you a a little introduction for regular listeners. You can go back and listen to my first talk with Glenn as all my guest shows are on the CarJow website, but also on all the mobile podcast apps. But let's take off on this new journey with this new book. South African-born Glenn Smale started his professional motor journalism and photography career back in 1994. Not quite 100 years ago. (laughs) (laughs) But if truth be told, Glenn has had a driving passion for all things motoring since a very young age. He started automotive research, an archive of motoring and motorsports information. He's authored over 15 books now covering motorsports and motor racing and founded the photo agency Virtual Motor specializing in sports cars and motorsports racing. If you've not gone to his website, and I'll put a link of it here, a link on his show notes page, you got to go check it out. You're going to be there a while, so pour yourself a tall drink. I guarantee you. His newest book is titled Le Mans. A Hundred Years, a Century at the World's Greatest Race. Again, it's published by our friends at Motorbooks. It's a compilation of the history of Le Mans packed with photography, narrative, and much, much more. Uh, Glenn has been a member of the Guild of Motor Riders since 1994. And you may remember when he's on the show before, we talked a little bit about golf. He almost went down the pro route. Well, guess what? He's back on the course these days. So very cool. We'll be back in just a moment. But first, a word from our sponsors. So give them a little love. Buckle up. We're going to be talking to and we'll be right back. Did you know that Cars yeah is in the top 1% of all podcasts based on listenership, according to Lipson, the premier RSS feed for podcasts in the United States? That's right. Plus, DuPont Registry recommended Cars Yeah as one of their top 10 car podcasts for you to enjoy. Cars yeah has experienced tremendous growth, plus your ads are evergreen, meaning they never go away. And more and more listeners find Cars yeah every day for their daily dose of automotive inspiration. Do you want to expose your brand to a highly targeted list of automotive enthusiasts in a very unique and very personal way? Well, I can help you. Contact me, Mark Green, at mark.carsyeah.com or through the website at Carsia.com today to learn more. Years ago, when it was time to renew my collector car insurance policy, my carrier's rates went up. Way up. But my usage was the same, and I never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. So what's with that? So I turned to American Collectors Insurance. Has your collector car insurance recently raised your rates for no good reason? Tired of paying an annual membership fee? Then it's time to look around and call American Collectors Insurance. I shopped around, I asked friends for recommendations, and found a winner that I can trust. And boy, I'm glad I did. I saved hundreds of dollars every year and slept better at night knowing my baby was properly insured. American Collectors Insurance have been protecting vehicles since 1976. They provided me with an agreed value insurance policy backed by their history of taking great care of their clients. What could be better than that? So give them a call and ask for a quote today. 866 aci Yeah, that's 866-224-9324. And protect the ones you love, like I did, with American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors Four collectors. So, Glenn, we're back. So this is your second book with our friends at uh, Cordo Motor Books, right? Yes, it
1: is. They approached me on both occasions to do the books that I've done with them. The first was Porsche's 70 Years at Lamar, which was a an extension of the one I'd done before, which was 60 Years at Lamar. Uh, this new book now is The 100 Years of Lamar. And I was really Privileged when they approached me and said would I consider doing this and it wasn't a straight-off. Oh, yeah Because I was a little bit worried about you know Have I got all the knowledge that's really required to produce something like this? You know I gave it a bit of thought and then I came back to them and I said yeah actually it would be a real privilege for me to be able to do this because Whenever I've tackled a book, which is um, now I've done 18 books now, most of them have been on uh, sports cars and motorsport, quite a few of them on Lamar and Lamar-related motor racing cars. But what I like to do whenever I do tackle a new book project is I want to ensure that I come away having learned something that I didn't know before, because I figure that if there's stuff that I don't know. There are other other people out there who also don't know a lot of stuff. And this gave me um, quite a kick. And I, I thought, you know, I'd be able to learn all about the early years. You have your favorite years, your favorite decades, your favorite eras of motorsport. Some people, it's pre-war. Some people, it's immediate post-war. Some people, it's Group C. Um, I mean, I've got my favorites, which are, are mine and maybe a lot of other people too. But I thought this would give me an opportunity to really learn a lot more about many of those cars that I would maybe have glossed over previously or bypassed. This gave me a reason, uh, or it forced me to look at those again second time and, and really sort of dig into them a bit.
0: Well, no kidding. You think about covering 100 years, and this book is 240 pages what's beautiful about the book it's of course hardbound it's full of wonderful images of course all of your writing but it also comes with a beautiful bright red slip case which makes it even more special which would make it a great gift for your automotive friends i love giving books as gifts what motorbooks did here is is spectacular but what you did is even more so and i've got to imagine when you're trying to tackle something this massive one of the probably the most difficult parts is what to leave out (laughs) correct Yeah. How do you come up with that decision? Yeah. Well,
1: as I mentioned earlier, we all have our favorite periods of of motorsport. My genre of motor racing, my favorite genre is sports cars. It's the prototypes. It's the GT cars that raced in endurance racing, be it Daytona, Sebring, Le Mans. And my favorite period would probably be the 60s. And the reason I say that is because there was so much Variety, so much innovation, so much new discovery, and you had cars like, uh, or or rather, manufacturers like uh, Ferrari with all of their beautiful GT cars, which dominated in the 60s from 60 to 65, was all Ferrari. And it was the earlier part of that period was uh, the GT cars, uh, the GT short wheelbase. Then you had the, the GTO, the 250 GTO. Then you had uh, the prototypes, the 330s and the 250 LM's. And these cars are just to die for. They're beautiful cars. Uh, that was followed by Ford, which won consecutive years from 66 to 69. So that's the whole of the 60s taken up. Yeah. But all the while in the background, there was another manufacturer who was making big steps and eating into uh, the um, the area that that Ford and Ferrari really regarded as theirs, and this was the name of Porsche. Mm-hmm. So from the early sixties, uh, basically from sixty four, uh, you had the nine oh four. Then you came with the nine oh six, the nine ten, uh, the nine oh seven, the nine oh eight. Uh, then the uh, the the nine um, nine one seven. Of course, at the end of the decade. And it won its first race in 1970, the 917. So, that, if you like, is the start of the next decade. But if you take from 60 to 70, there was so much that happened in that time that it, can, it could occupy a book in itself.
0: Of course. Yeah, some spectacular automobiles. Yeah, absolutely. Mind blowing. Very, very cool. Well, the book is divided into decades, basically. Mm-hmm. And as we talked about, 60s, which is one of my favorites too, probably because that's when I was a little kid and <laughs> uh, was reading about these things. And, you know, there's obviously probably uh, other manufacturers you mentioned that have come around and done some things, but very few have been repeat winners, right? Yep, yep. Yes. One you mentioned was, of course, my my favorite, Porsche.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, uh, if you take a uh, sort of a high level look over the 100 years, in the in the 20s you had um some names which of course today are no longer with us, but towards the end of that time you had Bentley who dominated. Then in the 30s, you had Alfa Romeo who dominated. And then you towards the end of the 30s, you had um, a Bugatti also in there. Uh, but then, of course, came the war. And then after that came Ferrari. Now, Ferrari have been uh, present a lot. But the, the name that is above all the names that has dominated and been present without any interruption, any break, is the name of Porsche. One of the other names that races today – which has been racing for a lot longer is the name of Aston Martin. Mm,
0: wow! But
1: they've had a they've had a lot of years where they weren't present. Okay, so um, if if you add all of if you look at all of this lot, you'll find that Aston Martin are still there today, but they're not winning the overall race. They're winning the class. Renault had a time, but they weren't they weren't around in the early years. Uh, what are the names, um, um, Bentley came back and they won in 2003, I think it was. Um, there are very few names um, that, that have stuck around and that dominated um, by winning the race overall that have stayed at the top of the tree. The only one really is, as I mentioned, Porsche. And that's why I did the, the two books on Porsche, 60 Years of Le and 70 Years at Le two different publishers, But they are the ones who have, in my mind, contributed the most to the sport that we have today because they've had an uninterrupted run of, what is it now, uh, 72 or 73 years, whatever it is, because 2020 was their 70th. So they've had an uninterrupted run, uh, which is they stand head and shoulders above the others. But uh, all all the other, all the other makes, uh, Ford, they they were so dominant, and yet they, they know where these days, at least on, um, on on the Lamar scene, um, and yeah, the names come and go. Uh, Alfa Romeo, you don't see any uh, Lancia, came and went. Peugeot also were present, and then they were gone. So this is this is quite um, quite uh, common across across the whole um, race.
0: Well, in Porsche, mentioning Porsche, they participated consistently uh, since for their first race in 51, which yeah. kind of had some stand-apart. And I think Brook states they've had 19 victories uh, overall. So, yeah, they just keep uh, pounding them out. But that brand seems to... Uh, always focus on racing and then bring that technology forward into cars uh, yes. in a lot of diff- uh, different ways. So I think it's cool. I want to go all the way back to the beginning, though, because 100 years, a hundred years, long time ago, none of us were. Well, most of us weren't around a hundred <laughs> years ago. Maybe there's a few there. But when you when you got into this. How did the, it all start? How did Le Mans start? Who was responsible, and and what was going on at the time? Because you think about a hundred years ago, their cars were very different, obviously.
1: Yeah, it was the um, it was the brainchild of three people, and I, I'm not going to be able to repeat the three French names um, on air. <laughs> no <laughs> worries. One of them was a journalist, Charles Ferreau, I th- I think the name was. Mm-hmm. Forgive me if I've got it a bit wrong but he was he was one of the founding fathers if you like of the race and they started it as an endurance event the word race wasn't used so it was an endurance event that was to last 24 hours and the whole aim of the game was to put manufacturers one against the other in a competition in a contest to see whose whose car was the most reliable mm. while being fast. Cool. And in the beginning, it was, uh, it, it was called the Triennial Cup. So in race one in 1923, you didn't have a winner. You had finishers.
0: Ah, oh, okay.
1: okay. So then in year two in 1924, you had finishers again. And in 25, you had finishes again. Now, the triennial cup went to the driver and the manufacturer who had the highest number of points over those three years. And this was the whole thrust, if you like, behind endurance and reliability. Now, you can imagine that uh, a driver in year one, maybe in year two, he had died or he'd moved elsewhere in, in, in the world or something had happened where he was no longer a racing driver. So his name fell off the table, if you like. And you then had to start looking at the people who had come next in line. Uh, and over three years, manufacturers came and went. So who do you actually give the cup to at the end of the day? Somebody who was maybe well down the order. And so it became very difficult to manage. So the triennial cup after one year, became the biennial cup. So they then reduced it to a two-year kind of rolling average, and then that in itself was was also uh, way too complex to keep to keep tabs on, and they reduced it to a winner per year. Mm. After that, also the the organisers were very um, uh, strong. On, on this endurance and reliability issue because it had to relate to cars that the people, those who could afford to buy a car, could go into a showroom and buy the car that had actually just competed in the race. Okay. So it was you weren't allowed to have modifications on the car. You might have been allowed to improve things like lights or, or brakes or something. But it was to do with reliability of a car that you could buy in, in, in the showroom. And, um, of course… You tell a racing driver this is not a race, and it goes in one ear and out the other, of course. Uh, and so the guys were, were racing from year one, but nobody told them, you know, look, you know, you, you won't win,
0: yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but, yeah, yeah it, it
1: grew out of that, and of course, over, over time, it just became a race from flag to flag.
0: Amazing history when you think about it and and the changes over years and no doubt the manufacturers learned a lot in these endurance races as they continue to learn today what's going to break what's going to last how can we modify things you know moving very fast forward to the future Mm -hmm. I want to talk a little bit about where you think we may go from this and one of the thoughts was The next hundred years. Now, Mm -hmm. hard to see out that far. Sometimes it's hard to see a week ahead, right? Um, Mm -hmm. but the cars now have become so, they've been this way for a while, so complex. You look at these cars, you know, these cars, most of them that race, especially in the higher classes, you can't just go buy one of these things and you can never drive it on the streets. They're, they're so unique and different and electronics. And of course, you got this electric vehicle thing that's coming down fast Mm -hmm. on top of us. And we've seen hybrids and, even uh, diesel-powered cars at Le Mans and all these different things. If you had a way to look into the future, knowing what you know about the past, which sometimes if we don't pay attention to the past, it repeats itself in funny ways. Mm. What's your vision for the future for the 24-hour Le Mans?
1: Do you mind if I just go and fetch my magic wand?
0: Oh, yes, please do that. And while you're doing that, let me know which companies are going to succeed so I know what stocks to buy in the, uh, right. in the next year so that uh, next year you and I can go out on my yacht and watch the the race from a satellite yeah. feed or something like that.
1: Yeah, Mark, this is a, a question that I don't know that anybody on the planet can, can answer with any accuracy. Sure. You can... Chat about it over umpteen beers and over so many barbecues. No doubt uh, it, it's being done already. Uh, yeah, if you look back and see where we've come from and where we are today um, and then try and project that forward, extrapolate some kind of trend, to be honest with you, you well, part of that answer is going to be what cars will be on the road. Yeah, um, yeah. Because that might determine, uh, if, if you just look at, say, a GT class, for instance, GT class uh, of, of cars uh, today, bear some resemblance to cars that you can buy and drive on the road. Right. Okay. The prototypes, you, you obviously can't. Uh, if you look at the GT cars, what are they today? They're going electric. Is electric the future? Um, I'm going to stick my neck out and say no okay yeah. yeah that's 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 my take on it uh, the 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 reasons for that are are, are vast and, and complex as well and it depends what part of the world you're in as to whether electric is is the future or not i think electric's got a big future in city cars but if i want to go from here to lamar it's actually not that practical because you cross borders and the supply of electricity in different places cost different amounts it's the supply is at different rates and I don't know I think it's 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 too difficult you if you put fuel or or diesel into a car it's the same here as it is in Germany or in the US or anywhere else so that to me that there seems to be some commonality there if you go back to um, the 70s uh, you could buy if you had the money you could buy a 917, a Porsche 917 race car. You could also buy a 917 road car. Yeah,
0: yeah. there was only one of them. Yeah,
1: <laughs> which was which was um, uh, I think it belonged to Count Rossi. But if you if you moved forward into the next decade, into the 80s, there were quite a few people who, quite a few organisations, who turned race cars like the Porsche 962 into road cars. Because you could do it. Yeah. Uh, if you look at the the hybrid cars of today, um, I was talking to somebody at, at uh, in the Porsche Museum some time back, and I said to him, "Are we going to see the the 919 hybrid, which won, of course, in 2015, 16, and 17? Are we going to see that car at events like the Goodwood Festival of Speed, etc?" He said, "Yeah, you might." but it won't have its hybrid system connected. And the reason being because the technology required to start the car is so advanced that it's unlikely that you're going to be able to transport that system in the future commercially and in in some kind of reasonable cost format from point A to point B just to go to a car event. So the car that races... In a demonstration lap uh, at uh, the Sebring, uh, classic Sebring, or classic Daytona, or classic Le Mans, that car is, if it's a Porsche 919, is going to be running on its petrol engine. So this is the complexity that is uh, it's going to be difficult to keep it going, because you've got to you've got to employ people who understand the sophistication of that electronic system. You've got to keep them educated and trained in that system for years to come. Is it viable?
0: Probably not. Exactly. Yeah, probably not. You know, I, I just saw my mom sent me a story this morning about the first, I think it was FAA-approved flying car. Yep. Yeah. I'll and when you think about, say, Star Wars, and yeah. you know those—I uh, forget what they call the car that glided over the surface but didn't touch. You know, I, I see in the future there could be something like that racing at Le Mans, where they they don't go up in the air. I mean, those are called airplanes, but yeah, yeah, you know yeah. these uh, these somewhat vehicle-type things that can be driven on the streets. Maybe we see that one day. I mean, if you think back to a hundred years ago, and if you'd gone there and explained to somebody what would be happening in 2023, they probably would have looked at you like, we need to lock this guy up, you know, and we'd be carrying around these little devices and communicating and taking pictures and videos and, you know, called mobile phones. And like, what? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. No, for
1: sure. Look, I mean, you just need to go back to 2017 when Porsche was racing, I think it was seven, 16 or 17, a Porsche was racing the 919. There were three of them in the race. Toyota had three of their cars in the race as well, both hybrids. Audi was out of the picture. They they uh, withdrew at the end of 16. The Porsche, um, uh, Andre Lotterer was leading by 13 laps uh, on Sunday morning, and his car came to a standstill down the Mulsanne Strait. So he's 13 laps ahead, he's obviously not pushing the car to its absolute limit, but he's maintaining his position, and the car stops on the side of, of the track. So he radios the, the pits and says, what do I do? You know, what uh, remedies can I get the car back to the pits so you can fix it? And they, they did all sorts of tests and, and uh, virtual tests and so forth. And he tried all sorts of things. The car wouldn't work. They radioed him and said, get out. There's nothing you can do.
0: Yeah.
1: So here's a car that was so sophisticated because of its uh, el- electronic connectability between the front wheel drive recovery system that generated power and the 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 petrol engine at the back of the car which drove it uh, under normal circumstances somehow there was a breakdown in whatever the recovery energy recovery system and it couldn't last the 24 hours now porsche only had one car that finished that race and toyota also only had one car that finished the race they had some electronic problem and Their second car had an accident, I think it was. So they had one car which finished uh, quite well down down the order. But there was a case of sophistication and complexity uh, stalling a car out on the track. So, you know, I, I don't know where the answer lies. Somehow, I think it's not in increased complexity. It's actually in improving reliability.
0: Well, and that's where the race started was reliability over time, you know, so it goes back to its roots, which is interesting. You you think about uh, cars today, Tesla, for example, that many times if there's something wrong with somebody's car, they just uh, call in, log Mm -hmm. the car in, and some guy, I have a nephew that works for Tesla, and he goes, well, we fix cars where people don't even bring them to us, just it's done over, you know, uh, the internet basically, Mm -hmm. and we do a diagnostic and make an adjustment, and okay, now your car works, sorry for the inconvenience, and (laughs) Yeah, so you know it's uh there was like this the Star Trek TV show where they would lay yeah. a guy on the table and the doctor would just scan him and go, "Oh, that's what's wrong." And yeah, we'll yeah, fix yeah, that yeah, yeah okay, from right. there. When you uncovered all of this and you built this book and, and created the story you've created for us in the book, was there one thing that was very I'll use the word inspiration because I use it a lot here, but inspiring mm. about a, a team, a year that somebody came onto the in and maybe one or, or did a very, very amazing effort that everyone went, Whoa, there's an inspiration.
1: Oh, wow. Um, there are probably, I don't know, 20, 30 stories like this. And, and what, it, yeah, what it comes down to is a team that was perhaps out in front doing well. And their car had a problem and it had to go into the pits for some reason. And they took it apart and analysed the the problem, fixed it, and it took maybe an hour or something. So you lose an hour out of a 24-hour race. You're not likely to be thinking, oh, wow, I'm going to take the chequered flag. So it's cars like that and teams like that who get their car back out there and they either – do well or that sometimes they win. Now there, there are two examples that come to mind. One was um I think I think it was 16, 2016. I could be I could be a little bit wrong, but well
0: that was a little while ago Glenn, so we'll we'll, uh, we'll let you cover a little bit here. <laughs> um, Tracy Crone had an accident
1: coming down the downslope slope of uh, from the Dunlop Bridge and he was just approaching the S's at the bottom and he was too fast. He lost the car under braking and went straight into the barriers backwards. The car was, was totaled. The chassis was cracked and it was absolutely not repairable. What did they do? They got a replacement chassis from Italy sent out to the racetrack. They got permission from the ACO to transfer all the running gear and, and the stuff that was recoverable. They rebuilt a car over overnight. Now this was during practice that he had this 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 off. Uh, they re- rebuilt the car overnight. The car took to the track at the beginning of the race on Saturday, and I think I think it went out with a fault something like on Sunday afternoon or s- late on Sunday. So in my view, those guys deserved a medal. Yes, they yes. deserved a medal. Now the other example of where a car won was what I touched on a little bit earlier with the Porsche 919 in 2017. Andre Lotter's car stopped out on the track. The car that eventually won had spent an hour and a half in the pits, having uh, part of it rebuilt. I I, I forget now which component it was. It was obviously something really complex and involved. But the car spent an hour and a half on the Saturday in the pits getting repaired. And the guys didn't say, that's us, we're going to just park this car and just leave it because it's too much the guys put it back together again and went out and went out and ran so reliably for the remainder of the race that when Lotterer's car stopped the lead car was an LMP2 car that took over the lead and the buzz that was going around the media room and out on the track uh, in the the crowds was are we going to have a, a race winner from the LMP2 class this was the big question. But the Porsche that had spent an hour and a half in the pits being repaired on the Saturday kept on unlapping itself and it it overtook um, the, the LMP2 car, which was a Jackie Chan car. Um, and it passed it and it won by a lap or two at the end of the day. Now, there's an example of, you know, where they'd spent so much time working on the car and they actually got it up, back out there um, and it won. So you never, ever say... We can't do it.
0: Well, it goes back to the words I've heard from every racer I've interviewed here. Never, ever give up. Uh, great quote by uh, Winston Churchill, of course, that great speech he gave. Uh, you know, yes. And I had a guest on the show not too long ago, um, John Woody Woodard, who worked at Penn State.
1: I know Woody very well.
0: Okay, there you go. And he told a wonderful story about racing. I believe it was Sebring. And the driver was way ahead and crashed. And they brought the car in. and the front, I think the whole front right of the car was gone. Mm -hmm. And so John said to Roger Penske, I think we're done. And Roger said, no, we're not done. This is an (laughs) endurance race. He said, there's a car that's out that's like our car down the pit row. Go down there and steal the parts off of it. We'll deal with them later. And that's what they did. And they rebuilt the car. They used Mm -hmm. some broomsticks and duct tape you probably heard the story and they went back out i think they ended up third and so yeah you just you don't that's what endurance racing is all about you just and it it relates to life in many ways just don't ever give up you may have had have a defeat today but come back keep trying and eventually you'll find a way around it so i think it's cool you know we we do something here fun on cars yeah that you know and i did it with you before but i'm going to twist this question up and that is what i call the ultimate drive. Mm-hmm. If I could put you, knowing what you know about the complete history of Le Mans, in any Le Mans car in history, and let you take some laps. I'm not going to put you into the race, but well, maybe I maybe I should. But I'll let you take some laps in that car. Which car would it be? Can, uh, can you narrow it down to one?
1: Yeah, this is such a difficult question. And it's going to come down to one of the cars from my favorite era, which is the 60s. Um, and I think... Look, I've never driven one of these cars, so that might be terrible to drive. But looking at the car from the outside, you could put me in one of two cars, and it would be a Ferrari. Ah. Uh, It would be a 250 LM, or it would be a 330 P4. both beautiful. Uh, They just are so stunning. You know, you you look at the car, and you think, I could drive that car, because you just love it, because you want to drive it. A GT40 is another car I'd, I'd give anything to to um, get behind the wheel of Porsches. Yep. I'd love to be behind the wheel of a 908. Oh yeah. Um, you know, th- these are cars which th- they inspire me because I know some of the story behind how those cars came about. And it was a case of the same spirit that you, we talked about of dyes, never giving up and persevering and, and getting their car back out on track and winning the race. It's that spirit which existed in the, the, the guys, the crew who built the cars, the designers, the engineers, the teams who put it together in, in the factory and said, okay, that car is now, it's ready to run. And that's what I like about those cars. Those guys would work until the small hours of the morning, night after night after night, to make sure that their car was ready for a race, any particular race. And uh, you, you get that today, but somehow, you know, if you fit an electronic part and you put a connector on, it's not the same as getting out a wrench uh, and, and with a, a half-inch socket or something, you know, it, it's it's different somehow. Yeah,
0: Or pounding out a fender that's been crushed against exactly, the wheel yeah. and, you know, hitting it with the lead hammer and so forth. Yeah. So, yeah. So many wonderful stories in this book. Again, uh, for you listeners, is titled Le A Hundred Years, A Century, at the World's Greatest Race, published by our friends at Motorbooks and written by our guest today, Glenn Smale. Awesome job you've done here. Uh, before I let you go today, and we kind of started Started with this. Are there some words of inspiration or thought as it relates to Lama for you? And maybe it's as simple as those words by Sir Winston Churchill, never, ever give up, but maybe just some parting words of uh, wisdom or a mantra for some folks out there. Yeah,
1: well, um, that is a quote um, that, that must resonate throughout those hundred years. They really must, you know, the race itself, the Lamar race is littered with people who have not given up and who have succeeded, whether in fact it's a win or whether it's a place in a class, but they've completed the race. Completing that race is in itself something. So I remember when I was a teenager, um, uh, I was I was quite a fit lad and I was at a gym and there was a quote up on the wall which said along the lines of what you've just said about Winston Churchill. I don't know who the quote was by, so I apologize if, if it's somebody else's quote, but it was just up on the wall of this gym. And it said, quitters never win and winners never quit. And I think that that is something which that's a thread or a theme that runs throughout the hundred years. Um, if, if I look at, at, at all the manufacturers, Matra, Renault, um Alpine this even the smaller makes the guys who, who you know who pedaled their cars in the 1100 cc classes and you know in the older days you you had those smaller classes these guys were they were gladiators um and they they were they were tough guys they were tough people and you had to wrestle your car around uh, you know 250 laps or whatever it was back then it was not an easy task. Today, it's still not easy because even though you've got power-assisted brakes and power-assisted steering and air conditioning and and all the safety features, the level of competition, the level of, of, of uh, competitiveness amongst drivers and between manufacturers is so close that one slipped gear or one one uh, tire on on the on the paint or on the grass, you know, can can be your undoing. So I think it really is, it's a case of never give up.
0: Absolutely. Never give up. And if you look at the overall winners this past year, uh, Ferrari, you know, I mean, they were winners way back when, and then for a very long period of time, uh, nothing, 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 but they've never given up, of course, and look what happened. So
1: Well, they, they last won, yeah, yeah that, that was the last time they won as a factory race, exactly. as a factory yeah. team. They, of course, have competed with uh, privateer uh, teams, you know, uh, for many years after that. And even even up until recently, they still do in the GT classes. But, um, yeah, there they, they came back. And one of the things, I was fortunate enough to go to the race uh, right through the COVID period, uh, which wasn't easy because um, the number of journalists and photographers and TV crew and so forth uh, media as a whole was was like a a fifth of the normal number and yet I, I was I was still included and I was very fortunate in that respect but this this last year this this race now what i think brought the people to the to the circuit and to the race in in greater numbers is the fact that you had an increased number of competitors up in the top class who any of whom could win You know, on a day, as we talked about a a few minutes ago, Porsche and Toyota had their problems and may not have even finished the race. Okay, they did, but there was a chance that they may not. If that happened at this race, if Toyota failed, you had Ferrari there. If Ferrari failed, you had Porsche there. If Porsche failed, you had Persia. Then you had Cadillac and you had the van wall. Okay, the van wall, uh, some people wrote it off. Uh, even before the race began. I think they did quite well to get where they got to. I mean, their car went out on Sunday morning at 7 or 8 o'clock in, in, in the morning. Uh, I think that they did quite well for not having been at Le Mar for I don't know how many years. Yeah, long time. You know, this was their first time back. Uh, and all, all credit to them as well for doing that. And, of course, uh, also the Glickenhaus um, clickenhouse. Oh, uh, was yeah. Top class. What they're but, doing, yeah. Yeah, no, phenomenal stuff. I mean, you know, when you when you put them against the might of Peugeot or Ferrari or Porsche, any of these makes, I mean, they were a drop in the ocean. But when they when they raced for the first time, which was what was it, eighteen or nineteen or yeah, about then, uh, they both cars finished I one yard the
0: other. Yeah. What Jim and his team has done has just been phenomenal. He's been a guest a, a few times on the show here. Uh, he's also got some pretty nice old ferraris that i think you would love to to drive (laughs) to in his collection glenn you've taken us on another wonderful trip and i can't emphasize enough to you listeners if you love books you love history this is the book to have on your shelf absolutely how can people keep up with you these days other than maybe meeting up with you at the golf course
1: (laughs) (laughs) well yeah i'm i'm doing this year um uh, the Goodwood races, the classic races like uh, Silverstone Classic. I've done the Goodwood Members' meeting. Uh, I've done the Le 24 Hours. So I go to the, to the races because I want to stay up to date, up to speed on on what's going on. But I have I have this uh, sort of leaning, if you like, towards the cars of of, of yesteryear. Um, I think maybe like you might do as well. Uh, I just think that they came through. Um, a lot of trouble and a lot of uh, difficulties when when reliability of cars was not as great. And I, yeah, I admire what they did. So I, that's why I also like the the older cars. But, yeah, I'm, I'm at, at, uh, at races. I'm looking forward to going in two weeks' time to uh, the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Oh, and yeah. there I'll be doing uh, at the Goodwood Festival of Speed, at the Silverstone Classic, and at the Goodwood Revival – I'll be doing book signings, so awesome. I'm looking forward to to getting out and seeing some of, of of the people there as well.
0: Absolutely, I'll book it. Bucket list places for me to attend one day as well. So I okay. so we look forward to seeing you there. And I'll put links to Glenn's uh, website as well, a virtual motor pics. Uh, you got to go there and check out what he's got going on, right? Yep,
1: indeed. If you if you put in the word Porsche in the search bar, you'll come up with about three and a half thousand pictures on Porsche, so it'll keep, keep you busy for an afternoon or two.
0: Yeah, just a little bit. Like I said, pour yourself a, a tall drink. Well, Glenn, thank you again for uh, taking a pit stop with me today. So good to catch up with you. Thank you for uh, bringing this history to light for all of us, adding another spectacular book to my automotive library. Until mm-hmm. you and I talk again, my friend, I'll see you down the road.
1: Uh, Mark, thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure.
0: Always is. For several years now, you've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine. I've been a subscriber since the start. Their talented and creative team brings you a spectacular publication and website that shares the automotive passion from a worldwide perspective. Linkage is about driving, restoring, collecting, and firsthand experience at collector car auctions and more. They bring you real-world values plus rational, experienced opinions on the current markets. They cover the automotive world and the people who share our passions. And Linkage Magazine has grown, mailing you six issues annually. Join me on this journey with Linkage. They're geared for the automotive life. You can subscribe at LinkageMag.com. Want to hear something crazy? Veterans work on billions of dollars of vehicles, planes, and engines while deployed, but they can't touch our car until they've obtained a certification and training requirements for employment back here at home. That's crazy. TechForce Foundation Military Transition Fund provides scholarships and grants so our veterans can transition to great careers following their service for this great country. Support TechForce. Support TechForce a charity of choice here at Cars Yeah, and its workforce development efforts for our veterans by donating at techforce.org today. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up,